from the book of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Everything came into being through the Word, and without the Word, nothing came into being. What came into being through the Word was life, and the life was the light for all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. A man named John was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him, everyone would believe in the light. He himself wasn't the light, but his mission was to testify concerning the light. The true light that shines on all people was coming into the world. The light was in the world, and the world came into being through the light, but the world didn't recognize the light. The light came to his own people, and his own people didn't welcome him. But those who did welcome him, those who believed in his name, he authorized to become God's children, born not from blood nor from human desire or passion, but born from God. The word became flesh and made his home among us. We have seen his glory, glory like that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified about him, crying out, This is the one of whom I said, He who comes after me is greater than me, because he existed before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. As the law was given through Moses, so grace and truth came into being through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. God, the only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made God known. Lorenzo, I forgot to ask you, can you read a poem later? Can you read a poem that you've never read before and I'm just going to throw at you? Awesome. It'll be on an iPad. It'll be waiting for you. Um, For those of you who are online, let's play a game. Uh, The question for those online, and uh, maybe I'll buy a coffee for whoever gets it right. Uh, There was somebody's head that was uh, standing and directly in the camera during the scripture reading. And so who do you think that person was? First person to get that head uh, correct, uh, I'll buy a coffee. <laughs> it, was, it, was only like, it was only like this much. It was like just a... It was, yeah, it's great, it's great. Um, so uh, we're on episode number five of The Chosen. We have three left, and then we'll be full on into Advent. And let's, I haven't been able to do this in a couple of weeks because he's been a skipper. So Andy, tell us your favorite part of episode number five. <sighs> I feel you. It's too much pressure. Andy doesn't like to talk. Too much, too much. Um, oh, I forgot. Can we, uh, is Pastor Sarah's back with the kids? I'll do it. Uh, I forgot to pray for one person, and I would like to do that. Um, Martha, her mom, uh, was, was put on uh, hospice care this week, and so I forgot to pray for her, but she asked in the comment section just to pray for peace. And so let's bow our heads real quick, and then we'll dive in. God, be with Martha, be with her mom, be with the family as they gather. Uh, that's just heavy, and uh, feel, feel it all. And so would you be with them? Would your grace and peace be with them? Would you um, walk alongside them in this season of life? In your name, amen. 
The Chosen Season 5. We're going to take a bit of a different pathway this morning. Uh, If you've been with us during this journey, I've typically taken one of the stories uh, from an episode, and we've kind of deep-dived in terms of the scriptural kind of uh, implications of that text. This, I have to tell you, and I'm curious, Christian and Emily, have you been continuing on The Chosen yet? Are you still in Season 1? Failures. Uh, No judgment, but failures. Um, This is my favorite episode. This was my favorite. Susan, did you like this one? Did you? Now, to be fair, Jesse, did you? Do you remember it? Uh, Is this the one with the uh, crazy guy? The demon dude? Yeah, yeah. This is my favorite episode. Now, to be fair, for the 10 or 12 of us that were gathered Wednesday, I think I uniquely held that position. So if we, I, I didn't write down all the, uh, uh, the rankings. We typically go and we rank the show kind of like Rotten Tomatoes. Um, there have been higher rated shows. There have been shows that have pretty, been pretty close to like a 10 uh, in our group. Uh, this was not that. I would say this was kind of in the 7.5 to 8.25 range. But for me, this was a 10. This was, this was the first time, like I've enjoyed the show I've really enjoyed gathering on Wednesdays. It's been my favorite uh, Wednesday night activity we've had in eight years uh, doing this. It's just really fun. Um, but I get done. I'm like, that was cool. Okay, it's time to go. This was, this was the show where halfway through, I'm sitting where Jesse is now, and I sit up in my chair like this at one point. And I'm like, oh, no. And then this was the episode that it ends on a cliffhanger. And I've read the Bible. I mean, I shouldn't be, there shouldn't be cliffhangers. But we get to the, the end of the episode. I'm like, it can't be over. We're, we are watching. It's 820. We are watching another episode. Uh, of course we didn't. But this was for me that was that kind of episode. This was like Walking Dead-esque. So that's my best commercial for this week. If, you, if you're going to go away from here and not watch it this week, I, I, I quit having hope for you. But the, the show, uh, Mark, did you go back and watch the show before? Episode four? Oh, you need to watch episode four. It'll make episode five so much better. So there are basically, I have one, two, three, I have six kind of sub-story plots that are happening in this episode. You have the demon possession, dude. So this is, uh, best I can tell, Susan, I'm going to look at you because you seem credible. This was the first demon, no, I guess not, Mary. Mary would have been the first. So this is the second demon possession, Jesus freeing. And we are going to watch that scene when we gather for communion. It is an intense scene. So um, this is trigger warning. Uh, For some that don't like intense moments, you might want to go around and grab your communion and go stand outside the sanctuary for a minute. It is an intense scene. Probably one where I wouldn't recommend kids being here. Um, at least I, I'll say this. I wouldn't want Parker or Tanner um, probably for this one. But we're going to watch that when we gather for communion. So you have the demon possession. You have uh, uh, the storyline of Mary Magdalene, who in Scripture we're told has seven demons and is freed. Um, and and the, this episode, uh, I hate the word backsliding, but I got no other better word for now. It, we see a bit of a backsliding in her story. Um, this is the story where Jesus, uh, we'll talk about this in a little bit, Jesus does sermon prep, which is fascinating. We'll talk about that in a minute. This is the story where we get some inside scoop in Simon the Zealot. Zealots, again, if you were kind of a sect within Judaism that believed that the the way to live a faithful life uh, in relationship with God is to grab a sword and go kill some Romans. 
Um, they, 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 they literally had this belief that to be faithful is to practice our Second Amendment rights, right? Um, and so you see, that was a joke. You see Jesus uh, entering in this discipleship relationship with this one who believes violence uh, is the way forward to be faithful. And one of my favorite scenes is Jesus takes a sword and chucks it in the river. <laughs> it was funny. Um, I liked it. Uh, this is, and there's two other, uh, you, uh, you have John the Baptist and Jesus gathering together and they have a bit of an interesting kind of cousin relationship and there are some questions of each other about, are, are you sure you're right about the way you're going about this? Are you sure you're right about the way you're going about this? And then kind of a really small plot is the continued relationship with Matthew and Peter. Um, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm just, this is a, predic a prediction in front of everyone. I think the show is going to explore uh, Matthew having some romantic feelings for Mary Magdalene. Just saying. I think there's going to be a romance. Not biblical, but interesting. Totally into it. Um, and you have some Peter-Matthew uh, uh, relationships. Now, here's why I want to do a different take this day. I did some research. This is the most controversial episode of The Chosen to date. They got serious pushback. It's fascinating. They got so serious pushback that the Dallas, the creator, had to uh, do like a 45-minute video debriefing why they portrayed some things the way they did. Any guesses for those who watched it what some of the pushback might have been? Okay. Yeah, there's some. Some. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No arming yourself in church. That actually was not one of the things he addressed, but that's interesting. I bet that did. That would be interesting. Any other guesses? Mary Magdalene and backsliding. People struggled big because the Bible doesn't say anything about Mary Mag's backsliding. Um, by the way, I have to correct myself. I made an assumption that is dumb. And Emily, you're a, a theology major, so you'll be mad at me, but hopefully you show grace. There is a um, history within Christian tradition that assumes that Mary was a prostitute, which is dumb. Scripture doesn't say that. It's just uh, a sexist assumption. The, the show itself does portray her as, as being having a, um, a sexual assault with a Roman. Um, so I made an assumption when she backslides, and I asked this question from her, was she going back to the red quarter? assuming the, the, um, the prostitute thing. And to be corrected, she, no. The chosen is portraying her as going back to gambling. She's going to the casino. Which makes sense. Which makes sense because Luke, the gospel, specifically says that Mary is in the group of the women who are funding Jesus' mission. So, interesting little Easter egg there. I love it. Um, any, any, the other thing, so Mary, yes, Mary is one of the, the frustrations. People lost their mind on the idea that Jesus did sermon prep. <laughs> they lost their flipping mind because apparently Jesus is supposed to be both God and human, and so as fully God and fully human, he should not need to do sermon prep. He should be like Sean Matson and just be able to get up, hand him a microphone, start talking. 
They, I mean, literally, I think some people quit watching the show because the 10 seconds of Jesus doing sermon prep and, and Dallas, the creator of The Chosen, just said, yeah, you probably shouldn't watch the season finale of, uh, of, of season two if you don't like that. Um, what else? Yeah, some people don't like, the other two, Ken Steve was one of your critiques, not to throw you under the bus, but I, I love it. The other, one of the critiques was that he, um, they tied the zealot to the brother of the one who was healed. And then, Ken Steve, your critique was another one. But the Bible never says anything about Jesus and John having a specific interaction. Now, this is what's interesting to me. If we were to narrow all of those down, they're kind of all one complaint, really. And the complaint is this, that the chosen is taking too much leniency with the Bible. The good old-fashioned word of God. I remember when I, um, when I was 19 or 20, um, Pastor Laura uh, came here, and she was not a pastor of this church then. She was a youth pastor in Kalispell, Montana. And she brought a bus of fun filled with like 30 teenagers, and um, I, I, I fell in love. Uh, Kelsey and Lisa, uh, sorry, Kristen, this was prior to you. Um, I, I spent the week with this youth group. It, it was, uh, you know... Andy, uh, up until that point, had largely been my picture of what a youth leader was, and, and certainly I needed some correction at that point, because we all know how that might have gone bad. Um, so, so she came with her youth group, and I spent a week with them. We did a high point mission. We had morning devotions and evening devotions, and for me, um, it was the first picture of, uh, and again, I do not mean this to, like, I hope this is not offensive. I know you don't get offended, but like, it was a, you did youth group really well. It was fun, but we didn't have a lot of kids. And so it was the first picture of kind of a large interactive youth group that I had had, and I loved it. Um, I at least loved Kelsey and Lisa. I think I loved the youth group experience too. And so I, I walked away from this experience, and, and I wanted to, especially after getting out of high school, kind of recreate it, and I, I decided to recreate it by like doing the youth group thing, and, and Josh and Sarah can tell you all the horrors of that. But there were some fun times too. We gathered for some trips, we went to Bridgeport. We went to the beach. We, oh, we went to some trips. Uh, we went to Raymond. We, we did some things. But it was interesting in those times, I, I, they, they, they did not trust me to, 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 yes, they did not trust me to take this thing on my own, and, and that's, that's a good thing. Um, so they surrounded me, and I, I got to work alongside Pastor Bonnie, Pastor Michael at times, Teddy, um, Ken Steve was, um, Ken Steve, we, we probably should have killed ourselves with how fast we were driving and the races we did, and the time you almost threw me through the window of the Samoan house uh, during the amazing race, but that's another sermon. Um, but I remember we'd gather before these trips we were going to do, and we'd say, okay, we need to have the Bible studies covered, and so we'd divvy up. Bonnie, I want you to take this topic, and Teddy, you're going to take this topic, and uh, Pastor Michael's going to take this topic, Ken Steve, you got this topic, Sean, you get this topic. And so I was not trained at that point how to work with the Bible. The best I knew was the Bible was God's Word. It, if, it, if there was an answer I needed to know about life or science or philosophy or whatever, I'd go to the Bible. And so I would get my topic, I'd get my a uh, little study Bible, and I would uh, take a, a notebook just like this, and I would go to the back of the study Bible, and I would look up every verse in the Bible that had uh, a, a, something to say about the topic I was given, and then I would begin to formulate. I would begin to formulate this 30-minute talk that would leave Sarah falling asleep. It's true. 
the Bible to me was this answer book. It was this science book. It was, I remember I, it was at that same time I, uh, I got my first promotion at Safeway. And I found myself working at Capitol Hill, this little um, conservative, George Bush supporting, uh, Bible toting. I literally took my Bible on my lunch breaks at, at, to the Capitol Hill Safeway and I would read the book of Acts. I remember that. Um, and and I, I went to Capitol Hill, and if you know anything about Capitol Hill, it was like this massive culture shock to this like conservative evangelical Christian who, uh, yeah, we'll stop there. Um, I remember the debates I would get in, the, the, the debates with my little helper, my helper clerk who, who um, had some different ways of viewing the world than I did. I, I remember the debates I got with the guy in the produce section and who was very much an evolution person who very much believed in the Big Bang. And I said, that cannot be true because Genesis 1 says God spoke it and it was created in six days. Oy vey. But for me, the Bible, the Word of God was this like ultimate truth. It was, we, we've heard a lot in this last week, especially if we've gone through elections, about curriculum and the things we're using to teach. The Bible was the curriculum. If you wanted to know about creation, you wanted to know about uh, war, if you wanted to know about uh, fill in the blank, can women be pastors? Can this person be a part of the church? Can that lifestyle be considered whole? Like any. Can, should we play cards? Should we co-ed swim? Should Sarah be allowed to watch rated R movies? I mean, you fill in the blank. If there was a question that I had, the Bible had to have an answer to it because it's the word of God, right? And so that Sean, who, who this is again several, this is, I'm old. That was like 22, 23. So that was like 15 years ago. Good Lord. Um, stop. That's not funny. Uh, that, that Sean would have watched this episode, I think, and struggled. Because I was very much convinced to read the Bible with like this flat, kind of literalist reading. I got it from Terry Matson. <laughs> Just kidding, that was a joke at his expense when he's not here to defend me. Um, but this flat, kind of literalist reading that, that said, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me, I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-B, or the Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it, or fill in the blank with your favorite catchphrase. And then you all did a really dumb thing. Well, some of you, not all of you are here at that point. So we can exclude Mark and Susan and Herman and Jesse. Um, David, you aren't here yet. Emily, you weren't around yet. Um, but the rest of you were really dumb. In 2012, you uh, asked me to come be this, the pastor. I didn't have cool long hair yet. What were you thinking? And I remember I, I, I had begun to have this kind of wider picture to scripture certainly in and you did that I, I you know i remember the first lesson in senior theology where our professors told us that there are there are real errors in the bible an example of that is kings and chronicles is essentially dressing the same content it's just written from like 500 years of separation and so there's this one moment and i'm going to butcher which one says which but it's there i promise i'll show you later but there's one moment where they take david takes this census and one of the one of the translations or one of the books uh, uh, ties the census to either David or God, and the other census, or the other book in telling the story ties the census to Satan. It's a, it's the same contents, the same story told through two different lenses, five hundred years apart. Well, which is true? They can't both be true. 
and what you have is two different authors at two different time periods telling history, telling the scriptural story from different lenses, different perspectives. I, I remember the first time I heard that, my mind was blown. As a, as a, as I, I remember taking that lesson and trying to recreate it at my, uh, the little church I was being the youth leader of during my uh, NNU days, and I almost got fired. <laughs> Because there was a parent in the Bible study, and I didn't have any of the wisdom that I clearly have now. And essentially, they walked away thinking, I'm pretty sure Sean doesn't believe in the Bible. But I remember coming here, and in 2012, the week after week after week after week of reading the scriptures and, and saying all the things that I had learned in Sunday school, the kind of flat reading, the literalist reading, I, I remember these questions started to pour into me that said, I'm not sure that's how it's supposed to be interpreted. I'm not sure that's the best way to read it. And so I find it fascinating this week as we watch The Chosen, my favorite episode, to hear the massive pushback they got because they were taking some liberties. They were, you might say, dancing with the biblical story. One last story, and then I want to dive into the nuts and bolts and get out of here quickly, I promise. Jesse, I, I had you read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That, that's the text that is from um, episode two, season one, or episode, season two, episode one of The Chosen. I remember in a, a car ride with my dad, because how many of you have done devotions with my dad, like in a car, right? It's, this is one of the things he does. Some of you love it. Some of you, it's like a really holy moment. Lorenzo, you've probably had a few. Christian, has he ever done that? one of those? You get food, and then you do the devotions in the car. Yeah, it's great. Good times. Um, so I remember one of those times where we read that verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the Word dwelt in my... So I remember asking, I was like, is the Bible saying that the Bible is the same thing as God? Any of you ever got that confused, or am I the only one? So here's what I think is helpful for us in the church today. If I were to ask you, and I don't, just think about your answer here, because I don't have time to go all throughout the room. If I were to ask you, do you believe in the Word of God, what would you say? I finally settled on my answer. I do believe in the Word of God. Now, the next, the next question you get asked in good Christian circles is, do you believe in the inerrant Word of God? The word inerrant is perfect. It's, it means perfect. So do you believe the Bible is perfect? And often when people use the word inerrant, um, it's does every verse carry the same level of perfection? So does John 3.16 carry the same weight as Levitical, Leviticus 3.16? So, so the next question, and I've had this in interviews, Sean, do you believe in the inerrant word of God? And this is my new answer. Yes. And the inerrant word of God was a Jewish man who probably had a beard and was killed by the Romans on a cross when he was 33. See what I did there? Because John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so when we talk about the Word of God, and this is what I think the Chosen is doing so magically beautiful, is the Word of God is Jesus. So we are a people at the heart of our faith who don't worship the Bible. We don't, it's not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. We worship the Word of God, Jesus the Christ. The question you should be asking then, Sean, is what, but what do you do with the Bible? We let the Bible be what it is. It's not a science book. It doesn't need to be. Never tried to be. 
It's not the answer book that is going to tell us every answer to every question. It is this deeply inspiring account with this weird and quirky and messy and yet inspiring interaction between real human people at real places in real times over hundreds of years who were trying to express their interaction with the divine and the ways in which over hundreds of years they came to realize, oh wow, God is more loving and gracious and holy and inviting than we ever thought he was. So the scriptures are these inspired writings, this library of books, 66 books for us Protestant folks, that tell us and invite us to know Jesus. A couple quick one-offs, and then we'll, I'll, I'll be done, I swear. It's interesting how Jesus uses the Bible. Turn with me to Isaiah 61 real quick. Does anybody have a Bible I can borrow? Isaiah 61. Oh, holy moly, we got to go super quick. Doggone it, that's crazy. Isaiah 61. I'll just give you a couple references about how Jesus does this. And then we'll go home and be done after we watch a scene and have communion. Isaiah 61. Um, Jesus is quoting this, this, why this will be familiar. In fact, I'll just read it. Verses 1 and 2, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance. Now, how many of you have read that before? If you're like me, you have largely heard that from Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is uh, Jesus' opening sermon in the Gospel of Luke. He's in his hometown of Nazareth because he thought, like I thought, that it would be good to preach to the people who saw you when you were a teenager. Whew. Not one giggle. And he gets up, and where is it? He says in chapter 4, where's the sermon? Uh, somebody help. Is it Luke chapter 4? Yeah, the ministry, rejection at Nazareth. Okay, so verse, chapter 4, verse 18, where he quotes, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the free oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Sounds familiar, right? But did you see what Jesus did? Do you see the ways in which he would have gotten um, in trouble with the chosen audience? Do you see the way he interpreted it? What does Isaiah say at the end of that? He says, the year of the Lord's favor in verse 2 and the day of our God's vengeance. So Jesus steps up to read it, and he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the end. And his audience is waiting to hear him say, and, and he doesn't say it. Because Jesus is interpreting Scripture in a more Christ-like way than the Old Testament. And for Jesus, his message of love and hope and liberation and redemption requires an alternative interpretation. 
he's taking some Christ-like liberty with the biblical text. Are you with me? I know this is nerdy, but this is really important. I promise. Um, John, let me give you this example, and then we'll just stop. John does this as a, as a text. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have what is the thing that gets Jesus killed? The kind of last thing that predominantly gets Jesus killed is he cleanses the temple. And the people are like, that's it. We've got to get rid of him. John does it differently. John places the cleansing of the temple as the first thing. So some people like to say, well, what's going on there? It probably means there's two, two cleansing of the temples. Likely not. You're not going to do that and get away with it. You're not going to shut down the American economy and not go to jail. You're not going to shut, shut down the Jewish economy and not get killed on a cross. The more likely scenario that most scholars think is that, yes, of course the cleansing of the temple happened at the end of Jesus' ministry, but John is not so much giving us a sequential scientific account of the exact order that things happened as a curriculum that could be taught in school. He is telling us the theological truth of who Jesus is and what his mission will be about. And so if that's your purpose, it's totally cool to dance with the kind of order of things for the sake of telling the story of this Jesus. It's the very same thing, Andy, you've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus will say, this, you have heard it said, Old Testament, but I say to you, Jesus is willing to interpret Scripture in a more Christ-like way. Here's the, how we land the plane. The Bible is this beautifully inspired text that when partnered with community and tradition and science and experience in really inspiring ways helps us to uniquely know Jesus. But we have to interpret the scriptures in a Christ-like manner. We have to let, let me see if I get this, my dad will hate this. We have to let the words of God help us to know the Word of God. Does that make sense? And for many, my fear is we have given up reading the words of God because instead of letting these words point us to the Word of God to talk about Sunday school, they've instead, we've let them point to some type of behavioralism. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with the opposite sex who do. Don't watch The Bachelor. Don't fill in the blank. And when the Bible is filtered down to simply being about moral behavior and this group of people is out and this people, that is not an inspiring book. But when it is allowed to invite us to know the true word of God, it is deeply, deeply formational. Invitation. Um, two things. Personally, if you're somebody who has, um, has let your scriptures collect some dust, first of all, don't feel any type of guilt. I get it. And frankly, there may be seasons where, where the Bible has, has become so toxic for some because it's been taught in some toxic ways that that may be necessary. But let me invite you once the necessary part of that Sabbath is over, to pick it up again and find the ways in which you might be inspired to live and to know the Christ of the Word more deeply. 
And that could be any number of ways. Uh, for me, it's listening to it on the Bible app. Andy, I know you do a lot with the Bible Project. It can be so many ways. There's no formula. Figure, everyone's different. But here's, this, here's the real invitation. I think from, um, from, I'd like to think from myself, from my dad, from Pastor Sarah, from Emily, who I'm going to convince to preach a sermon someday. I'm not going to look at her right now because I don't want to put too much pressure on it, but, you know. From Lorenzo to Christian to Josh to Sarah to, I mean, you just think Teddy, you think about all the people. I think we, um, Susan, we've had some fun conversations. I think we read scripture fairly well in this church. I think it's one of the gifts we can give. So we've been talking for a long time about this, but we're going to start, and it's either going to be in Advent or January. If I had to bet, I'd say January is probably more likely. But we're going to start a lectionary podcast. Um, I, certainly, I'm guessing my dad and I will participate very regularly, but we're looking for a group of three to ten people who would, who would two or three times a year be willing to jump on the podcast with us. And we'll simply give you the text in advance. We'll give you a resource to study. And then it means a 30-minute conversation that we'll then record and put up. There are all, of course, there are, that's typically the gospel we'll do that with. There are, there are epistles and Old Testaments. So if you would rather not kind of have a conversation for 30 minutes, but you would like to study and then record maybe a two-minute summary of an Old Testament text or an epistle text, that also is an option. But it's, 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 a, it's a way in which we can hopefully give ourselves away helping people to know the Word of God by talking about the words of God. And maybe you're not somebody who's comfortable doing that, like you'd love, enjoy the studying part, but honestly recording yourself, putting yourself out there, that's not you, but maybe you want to help with the editing of it. Maybe you want to help with the, I'll get it online for you, Sean. I'll, I'll, I'll edit it once a month or something. There's lots of ways, like we're all in this together. Maybe you're somebody who wants nothing to do with any of that, but you believe in it, and you'll volunteer two hours a month to clean, so it frees up schedule for others to do that. There's a ways in which we can do this together. But let us be a people, in the same way the chosen artistically tells the story of Jesus, let us be a people that artistically enter into the words of God and help people to know the Word of God. Amen?